You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I want to invite you to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be primarily in the last eight verses of Ephesians chapter 3. Um, And while you get there, I want to point out the elephant in the room. We made it out of 2020, um, which which means nothing, I don't think, but um, I guess the question is, now what? Um, And and I think, as I think of 2021 and, you know, what it could be, um, I just think of all the things that I didn't like about 2020 and, and kind of pray for those things to come about or not. Um, as some of you know, I had the coronavirus in August, and I didn't do very well, and so I hope that doesn't happen again to me, but those are the kinds of things that I think about. Um, I can think of all the things that I don't want to and that I wish would change about this year, um, and I can think of a lot of them. If you've been part of or led any kind of Zoom conversation, um, you know what I'm talking about. Thank God for Zoom. Zoom has blessed us in many ways, but I mean... The less of that, the better, I think, for me. Um, What about you? What do you think of um, as we enter this new season? And of course, by new season, I just mean like writing 2020 and then scribbling it out and then writing 2021 um, until like March is is what it happens for me, or if you write checks still. Um, That might be the only thing that I mean when I say new season at this point. Um, We're still going to pray for unity and and healing, and, and the gospel to go out, not the, not the coronavirus in our city. So keep doing that, and just because it's 2021 doesn't mean we stop. Um, in fact, not much has changed since Friday, Thursday, right? But what are the things that you're asking God for? Um, what are the things that if they don't come to pass, or if they do come to pass that you don't want to, you would fall into depression, anxiety, hopelessness, and even discouragement. To put it simply, I can think of all the circumstances that were uncomfortable, hard, and inconvenient, and those are the first things that I ask God to remove from this year. Well, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. You can ask God for favor in circumstances. We do this all the time. Jesus says, God, take this cup from me. I don't, I don't want to do this, but your will be done. So we can pray for, for favor in circumstances, that's not a problem, but if that's the only thing that we think of, that's where we run into a problem. And we'll see that here in a little bit. And Paul here in Ephesians 3 models for us a prayer for the, for the church at Ephesus that is absolutely remarkable. And I'm so glad that it's in the scripture because up to this point, I'm just like, God, I don't even know what to ask for anymore. So with that in view, let's read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and then, um, and then we'll get some context, get to know the, the church at Ephesus, and we'll go from there. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth, in heaven and on earth is named that according to, his, to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened 
with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we that then all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul is praying for what seems to be a very discouraged church in Ephesus. And to understand this a little bit better, I, I really want to put this into context. It's important to know who Paul is, uh, or excuse me, who the church at Ephesus is and Paul's relationship to them. So let's go back in time a little bit. We're going to flip back to a- excuse me, Acts chapter 20. This is going to be Paul's goodbye to the elders at the church of Ephesus. So starting in verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials and trials that happened to me and through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to, to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction Await me. But I do not count the, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course of the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of grace. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've, I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And then he gives them some instructions from 26 to 35, and then in verse 30, or excuse, yeah, in verse 36, he says, it says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul. There was much, and there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him. To the ship. So Paul's love for the church at Ephesus is pretty clear in this passage. Through tears and falling to their knees, we see the investment and love that he has for them. He's weeping with them, saying, you won't see my face this side of glory again. And to their knowledge, maybe never even hear from him again. They become very discouraged by this. Um, they become sorrowful, it says, about this news. Now, we don't know much about the church at Ephesus um, in general, but what we do know 
is that they are Christians. Um, so Paul is preaching to um, and he is praying with and writing to Christians in this passage. Paul has been reminding them of how they're in Christ in the previous chapters. He even starts the first chapter of this book by saying that they are saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 4, we also see that they were chosen to be his before the foundation of the world. And then in chapter 1, of um, verse 13, he says that they have heard the word of truth, the gospel, and they believed it and have been given the promised Holy Spirit. That's just all from chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he unfolds this profound doctrine of the Christian church, and um, he reminds them that they're all stones in this building that is going up. So we don't know much about this church at Ephesus. Um, it's not like some of the other letters Paul writes where there's a clear like, issue he is addressing. Instead, he wants to encourage them. And then, in verse 1 of the third chapter, where we're at, he mentions his imprisonment. And the Ephesians were very discouraged by it. And in some ways, afraid of persecution themselves. And verse 13 of the third chapter kind of is the preface to this prayer. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Um, the King James Version kind of puts this in, in more perspective of how discouraged these people were. It says, um, and I really want to read this in like an English accent, but I'm not going to. I desire that ye faint not at my troubles and tribulations. They are so discouraged that they could faint. This is where these people were. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Because I know you could at any minute. And for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Forgot to do this. The first thing that I hope that we see um, in this passage is the absolute priority that Paul gives to the inner being over our circumstances. The Holy Spirit's priority is transformation of the heart. So look with me in verse 16. He asks God for these that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So don't miss the priority here. He gives priority to the inner being, the priority to the inner life over the outward life or outward circumstances. This is the key to Christian living. Notice what Paul is not praying for. Think for a moment. How would you pray for this discouraged church at Ephesus? What would you ask for? How do you pray for your family? How do you pray for your gospel community? What are the things that you ask God for and thank God for? Does it have more to do with circumstances than the heart? Again, we can and should pray for favor and circumstances. But that's not the priority here, is it? He doesn't pray that he would be brought out of prison and go back to Ephesus. Not here anyway. Instead, he prays, I want them to be strengthened by your might in their inner being. 
He's more concerned about their spiritual state than what's going on that could be discouraging them, namely his imprisonment and what it meant to be a Christian in this world. The Spirit wants to work on something deep. He wants to transform us from the deepest parts of our soul, so Paul asks for that. So it's not circumstantial. It's not even intellectual. We think that if we have all the right information, we can save the world of all its problems. You know this isn't true. How many things do you know that are right to do or not to do, but you do the opposite anyway? So it begs the question, if the priority isn't the circumstances or intellect, then what is it? The priority is that God would strengthen their inner being. Well, what's the inner being even? That's a great question because if we don't understand what the inner being is, then we can't understand this passage and uh, we probably can't understand the entirety of the Bible. So what is the inner being? It's the heart. 1 Samuel 15 tells us that a man looks on the outward appearance, outward being, but God, the Lord, looks on the heart. Outward being and inward being are constantly contrasted in, in the Bible. Paul says, my outer man is wasting away, but my inner man is being renewed and strengthened day by day. Think of it this way. Outward being is your body. Inward being is your soul. So the heart is the priority. Well, what's the heart? The Bible talks about the heart. It's not just talking about emotion, um, the warm, fuzzy feelings you get. It's talking about the way you feel, think, and respond, everything. It's the center of your soul. It's how you experience things or your circumstance. It's not, how, it's not only how you experience things or your circumstance. It's not just intellectual. You know that loving people is right, don't you? You know that loving people is the right way to be in a relationship with them. Well, how did that go last week when you were with your family? Sure, we can love people when they like us, you know. Love that guy. He agrees with everything I say. Try loving when you're betrayed. Try loving when you're hurt. Try loving when you're disagreed with. Try loving when you're blamed for something you didn't do. So the Spirit wants to work on something deeper than your intellect or your circumstances. It wants to strengthen and transform your inner being. You see, if your inner being, there is strength, peace, and power that the Holy Spirit is working in, then it doesn't matter what's going on in the outward circumstances of your life. If your inner being, in your inner life, it is strong by the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't matter what's going on in your outward life. You're going to approach it and go into it in strength. But the opposite is true. If your outward look, life looks fine, the Instagram life, but your inner life's a mess, then it doesn't matter. You will move into the world in weakness. There's an absolute priority of the inner life. The life where you know God, you talk to him, you fellowship with him, you commune with him. That's the point. For the non-believer and, and a lot of people that would call themselves Christians but don't know the Lord, um, first of all, if you're a non-believer and you're here, I'm so glad you are. In some way, in a lot of ways, you're kind of invited into a family conversation. 
And at the end of this, I'm going to give kind of hopefully some scriptures we can meditate on this year, but um, I think your job as the non-believer or somebody who's like, wouldn't say they're in Christ, you can look at a believer and say, hey, how's that going this year, right? At the very least. But it's a problem because when you're controlled by your circumstances and things get messy in your life and you don't have communion with the Lord, you will revert to other things, addictions, Right? Binges, people, in order to find what you're missing. We learned this this last year, didn't we? Like, apart from communion with the Lord, we hold tightly to what? Normal. We want normal again. We want consistency again. Friend, the only constant in your life and mine is God. God doesn't do anything abnormal, He doesn't change. And the Holy Spirit longs for us to have deep communion with him. Why do we ask for it? Um, This is a question that comes up in our gospel community often. Um, If God's given us these things and we're in Christ, then why do we have to ask for it? These things that he's asking God to give the Ephesians is something he's already told them that they haven't because they're in Christ. So why ask for it? What's he asking for? I already know the love of Christ, so why do I need to ask for it again? Why do I need to ask to know the love of Christ again, right? Well, you can be given something but not understand or know it. So Paul wants them to experience the love that, experience and love the thing that they have been given in their inner being. You have been given it, thank God, but do you love it? Do you understand it? This is the best analogy I can think of, so show me grace in this, but maybe somebody in here will resonate with me in this. But as a kid, um, so my family moved here from Eastern Europe, and for the sake of the point of this, we were dropped in Sioux Falls. There's more to that. We can get into that. But for the sake of this, we were just dropped in the middle of this city. And I remember several years after we'd lived here, uh, my dad was taking me and my brothers to a swimming pool, and... I thought it was fascinating that he knew exactly which roads to take, um, which, like, oh, we saw, we saw that building last time we went to the pool. He must, I don't know how, he, how he's doing this. I forget how to get here every single time. Um, and I remember asking him how he knows. And it turns out it takes study. It takes, like, knowing the city, remembering important landmarks. And my parents we're given something great at the time. We were, we were refugees, and we were given the land of the free, uh, the great state of South Dakota, and it turns out they were just kind of like, can I get a map with this? Like, can I? I don't know where I'm at. Um, thank you. I see it. I, it's mine. I thank goodness for this, but I don't know how to get around. I don't know anything about this thing. My point is, Being given the truth is different than knowing the truth, loving the truth, and submitting your life to it. It's not that we were, not just that we were given the gospel, thank God, but the Spirit wants to work in that so that we can begin to appropriate the truths of the gospel in our inner lives. You might say, like, I do think I'm a Christian. I believe in these things. I consent to these things. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I seek to live a Christian life. 
but frankly, I have no inner life. You know, I say my prayers, but I don't think they're actually heard. I don't know that I have any kind of personal relationship with the Lord like that. I believe in sin, but when I start to realize how sinful I am, I run the other direction. I know that God is holy, but I never really have sensed His holiness. I know that God is in control of my marriage and my finances and my work, but I haven't really come to submit those things to Him. I don't really know if I have a strong inner life like the one Paul is praying for here. Good, obviously. That's a good step in the right direction. If I don't know where I'm supposed to go, then I don't know how to get there. So you know about the love of Christ, don't you? Like, if you would call yourself a Christian, you know how much he loves you, right? So why in the world is Paul praying for you? Why is he praying for me? He's saying, why aren't you happy all the time if you know the love of Christ? Why are you subject to self-pity if you know the love of Christ? Why are you ever depressed if you know the love of Christ? Why are you anxious if you know the love of Christ? Why are you discontent if you know the love of Christ? Why are you discouraged, jealous, or envious if you know the love of Christ? Why? Well, friend, we don't really know the love of Christ. You know about it, sort of. But do you know the truth that Jesus speaks of you to the degree that they really begin to take root in your life? To where they comfort you and begin to transform you. Verse 18, um, we kind of get have this question, why does God want to strengthen our soul? What, what's the point? And it says, so that you may comprehend. The NIV uses the term to grasp. If the inner being isn't strengthened by the Father, then you cannot grasp what is the height and the breadth and the width of the love of Christ. You've probably heard the term spiritual blindness. Um, this is many of your stories, but like, I was raised in the church, but I never heard the gospel. Well, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, some people tell me I'm lucky, but I do have a similar experience. When I was in high school, I went to a youth group, mostly because that's where my friends went, but I attended this youth group for a couple of years in high school, and, and fast forward to when I heard the gospel in 2014, this was four years later, I, I was kind of like, why didn't I hear it back then? And I became very bitter and angry towards God and, and, and towards that youth group for, like, God, you put this youth group here, but they're not, they're not telling me the gospel. I was like, why, why didn't I hear it? I tolerated this guy speaking for 45 minutes every Wednesday. That way I can go hang out with my friends again, but I never heard the gospel. Why? Why didn't I hear it? Why didn't you hear it? Because unless God strengthens you by his might in your inner being, you cannot grasp the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of the love of Christ. I found myself mad at God and a youth group. But I came to realize, I might not have heard it, but like, I look back now, I'm like, oh, they said that thing. That was the gospel. I just didn't hear it. It wasn't that I didn't, that it wasn't spoken or preached to me. It's that I did not grasp it. 
So unless God strengthens you by his might in your inner being, you cannot grasp the height, the breadth, the depth, and the, and the width of the love of Christ. You just can't. You're not smart enough. You don't pay attention enough. You're thinking about lunch right now. So why does God want to strengthen our inner being? So that we can grasp. The Spirit has to coat our inner being so that the truths of the gospel stick. You're listening to me right now, but a lot of it won't stick. We need to pray to the Lord like Paul does here. Lord, help us. Strengthen us in our inner being. I realize I'm just mad at you, but the problem is that I'm not grasping. So how do we begin to grasp something like this? What does it look like as we begin to grasp the love of Christ? I want this question to hopefully um, close us and propel us into this kind of life this week and even this year. Um, So how do we grasp the love of Christ? Well, we're at the point of the sermon where you hope I'll just tell you um, the, the good tips to, to be able to do this, but I don't have any. Um, all I can tell you is that it's not white-knuckle discipline. It's not just trying harder and doing better. If anyone knows this, it's me. Better discipline and trying harder leads to slavery to your own efforts and abilities, and uh, when you're not doing it, then the only thing you can do is be depressed and sad and, and kind of live in this self-loathing. So how do we begin to grasp it? Well, Paul gives us an example here. We fall to our knees and ask the Lord for this. In our GC, uh, our gospel community, we begin our time of prayer by asking, all right, what does this lead us to pray for, ask God for, or thank God for that only he can do. That's what Paul's doing. It's extremely unoriginal. He's asking God to do something in us by spirit that you and I can't do. And even when we do, when we think, man, we really had a really good time of prayer. We really asked God for some big things. Verse 20 tells us that he can do abundantly more than that even. Paul prays for these things, and I'm sure he meditates on them. Um, God, give me a view of the breadth of your son's love, right? God, instill in me a love and understanding for the length of your love. God, strengthen me in an understanding of the height and the depth of your love. I wish we had Paul's devotional notebook, but we don't, and I'm sure we would find some of this fantastic meditation on these things. So I want to, as we close, pull from Scripture some of these truths And hopefully, even give you some places where you can begin to meditate on these truths. You can jot these down, but I I put them up on the screen. There we go. First, what is the breadth of God's love? Revelation 5 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is how broad the love of Christ is. Myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will know him. Have you ever begun to just give up on someone? Like, that person's hopeless. I have. You might say, yeah, I'm that person. It means that we don't comprehend, grasp, or understand the breadth of God's love. We haven't grasped it. We need God to strengthen our inner being so that we don't look at anyone in hopelessness. What about the length of God's love? Psalm 139 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Or in Hebrews where he says, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus says, I will never, 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 never forsake you. Jesus says, my own know me, my sheep hear my voice, and they come to me, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. It doesn't matter how far you run, you cannot outrun me. My reach is longer than your ability to elude me, says Jesus. Some of you are playing catch me if you can with the Lord right now, and he will, or he already did. What about the height of God's love? This is where he wants to take us. 1 John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has yet not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, and he is pure. The height of God's love is that he wants to make us like his son. What God has begun in you, will, he will carry out to completion when he comes back to make things all, all things new. What about the depth of God's love? Philippians 2 says that, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of, with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating blood. Why is Jesus sweating blood? What kind of pressure was the eternal Son of God experiencing that he sweats blood? Jonathan Edwards comments on this, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase, but in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane is... God is showing and giving Jesus a picture of the wrath he's about to experience. He's showing him, he's giving a small view of the wrath he was about to drink. And knowing that, he had, Jesus had every reason to turn tail and run. 
he had every right to back out. He looked at this cup of wrath, and he looked at these people, look at them, they're, they're sleeping, they can't even stay up with me. Why would I do this for them? He takes a good look at the cup of wrath and these people, and he says, I'll do it. This is the depth of God's love. He came to the deepest parts that he could to pull you and I out of our brokenness. So it's 2021. Was growing in the knowledge of the love of Christ on your bucket list? Was that a New Year's resolution for you? Because Paul wants it to be, and so does the Holy Spirit. And was meditating on these truths on a daily basis on your list of resolutions? May we be a people who are strengthened by God in a way that this begins to take root in our lives. The steadfast love of Christ would become that the that the steadfast love of Christ would become sweeter and sweeter every day that goes by. That we'd be strengthened in our inner being day by day. He has given us our promise, the promised Holy Spirit. And so let's ask him for this and do that right now. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God who does not change. Your love is unconditional and your anger towards sin and the wrath that your son took for us is real and it's a sign of your deep, long, broad, and wide love for us. Strengthen us now. Strengthen our inner being in a way that we can... in a way that we can even grasp these things. Holy Spirit, show us the love of Christ. We thank you for giving us this great gift. For those in this room that maybe haven't heard or experienced this love, I pray that they would, that they would see the sacrifice that you have made on the cross and be transformed by it. None of this is possible without your hand on it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.